Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. JBR Capital has sponsored the Intercooler podcast for several months now. You've probably heard me talk about the company before. In that time, I've come to really understand what it is that makes JBR Capital different to other car finance companies. If I had to boil it down to one thing, I'd say it's this. Car finance is all JBR Capital does. Might sound like a minor detail, that, but in fact, it's really important. It means JBR Capital has a profound understanding of the car marketplace and of car buyers, an understanding that other finance companies could only hope to have. In fact, that very focused approach is exactly why the company was started in the first place. We recently had Darren Seelig, founder of JBR Capital, on the podcast, episode 106, if you want to go back and listen. And he explained that he started the company when he realised that general finance lenders actually didn't understand cars or car buyers particularly well at all. So he spotted that gap in the market and he founded JBR Capital to fill it. So before you buy your next car, be it a supercar, sports car, classic car, a hypercar or a luxury car, even if it's a brand new car, go and see what JBR Capital can do for you on the finance side. And it really helps us if you tell them that the intercooler sent you. JBR Capital is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome to episode 117 of the podcast, everybody. Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel with you here on what is a very big week for the Intercooler. So we are just a couple of days away from our big website launch. It goes live at midday on Wednesday, the 6th of July. Um, So it's really close, really close now. Um, And we're very excited. It's huge news for us. Um, We've put an awful lot of time um, work into this website, uh, and I'm just really excited for people to see it. I think it's beautiful, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the most important. I mean, we 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 mustn't spend too much time, you know, sort of navel gazing and banging on about ourselves. But it, it is, you know, we don't often do this, but this is the most important thing we've done since we launched, um, and it's very much, you know, the next stage. I mean, this thing kicked off, you know, what was it, three four years ago as, a, as an Instagram site. Yeah. Um, and then we started this podcast, and then we got our app, um, and now the big step is is, is, is the website. And, and what we've tried to do with it is is create. I'm tempted to say the sort of the antidote to car websites, and that's not in any way to um, diss any of the existing things out there, which are you know which are very good ways of gaining information about new cars. And if you want to find out all about the latest, you know, compact crossover SUV, there's no shortage of places to do that we're not trying to do that what we're trying to do is create the most beautiful uh if that's not too ridiculous a word just the best reading experience about cars you can have on the web uh and so there aren't it's such a clean site isn't it dan there's no pop-ups or banners or expandable ads or, or or anything like that it's just it's just us um but in a form you've not even if you even if you've been kind enough to subscribe to our app for the last year 
um, you know, you will now see what we do in a completely different way. And, um, you know, don't take our word for it, you know, get on there. Uh, our new domain is the hyphen intercooler.com um, and have a look. So you're right. I mean, we've all looked at other websites <clears throat> with those, as you say, those flashing ads and expandable ads and all that stuff, and they get in the way. We don't carry display ads. We don't carry them. And so what you get on the website is a very clean, uninterrupted reading experience. Um, and the articles, I think, look fantastic. Very easy to read, but we've got big images now. Um, so big, beautiful images that look great. Um, I'm just excited for people to see it because I don't think there's another online reading experience out there in the car world quite like this. Um, and the you know one of the big important things to say is that our archive, which we call our library, suddenly becomes very easy to navigate. It's a huge archive now. There's a million words up there, and it's now so easy to dive through it. You can sort by category, you can sort by writer, you can um, do a search and just dig out our best pieces because there are so many brilliant pieces waiting there for you. We have, we, we have over the however many years, I mean, it, it seems to me, and I'm sure it does to you, Dan, that we started, well, back then it was Drive Nation, but what we now know as the intercooler last week. Um, but it's been a little while now uh, during the course of which, you know, well over a thousand stories have been written for us, um, and which some of which we've written ourselves. As you say, there are over a million wo- a million words on the app and on the website right now. From you know what we believe, um, and nobody's ever disputed this, um, hmm. is the greatest writing team uh, in automotive journalist anywhere in you know automotive journalism anywhere in the world today. Um, and you know we're banging on about it, uh, and because we're British and reserved and repressed and everything else, we find it a bit uncomfortable to do this. But you know, having put all this effort over all those months into this site, we want you guys to, you know, take a look at it, see what you think, um, and you know, hopefully, you will find car journalism presented in a way you simply won't find anywhere else on the web. Yeah, it's never been done before. If you don't know already, it's not just me and Andrew writing for this thing. We've also got Henry Catchpole, Karim Chandok. We've got Mel Nichols, Peter Robinson, Andrew English, Ben Oliver, Colin Goodwin. Um, we've also got people who are not known as journalists, but write brilliantly. We've got Joanna Fidalgo. We've got David Tuig, Ian Callum, um, the designer. You know, that's superstar designer. So, yeah, the stories these, these guys and girls are producing for us are just fantastic. The whole point of this website, in fact, the whole point of um, you know, the intercooler online is that what we're trying to do is provide motoring journalism of a quality, you, you know, you, you would really you'd be really happy to see one of those big, thick, chunky, quarterly, glossy magazines. But we're doing it every day. You know, apart from Sundays, we post new content on the website as we do on our app every single day from, you know, one of the aforementioned, you know, absolutely top draw writers. Um and, you know, with the website, there's going to be a host of new features coming. Um, we're going to keep on chucking new, different, interesting stuff at it. Um, and I think that's another probably quite important thing to say um, is, you know, don't think of the website as being, oh, well, that's now the sort of fully formed um, TIA experience. It's not. You know, for us, we regard the website, despite all the effort that has gone into making it, as very much a start for us. You know, um, there's a huge amount of... Um, flexibility built into it uh and it's only going to expand get bigger get better as we introduce you know more and more different features to it over time um and we just really really hope that you find it as exciting as as we do yeah and as we launch the website i mean there's there's more that comes along with it we'll we'll be telling you more about both of these um new things coming very soon there's a a series called eyewitness where our, our writers describe being present for seismic events in the car and motorsport worlds. We've also got um, a, new, a new guest-based podcast series coming, which will be subscriber only. So you will have to be a paid-up subscriber to listen to, to that series. But we'll tell you more about it soon. It's called Last Blast, and it's made possible by the insurance specialist Foot, Footman James. So thank you, Footman James. Um, but we'll tell you more about that in the coming weeks. Um, 
let's leave it there. I mean, that's that's our beautiful, shiny new website. It looks fantastic. I, I can't wait for people to see it. Um, everybody will be offered a one-month free trial. Existing app subscribers will get very straightforward access to the website as part of their existing subscription. Very good point to make. If you are already kindly subscribing to our app, the website comes free. Likewise, if you decide um, to subscribe to us um, through the new website, which we very much hope you do, um, then you know the app gets thrown in free as well. So you're not, you know, we're not actually asking for any more from any one of our subscribers. It's entirely additional to what mm-hmm. we to what we already do. So it is the hyphen intercooler.com. Yeah. Um, and if you're listening to this at any time after midday on the 6th of July. 2022 it's there ready for you to see right now yeah um and i just want to give a shout out to our web design agency treacle treaclemedia.com but they've been a pleasure to work with they've built a beautiful website so um yeah happy to give treacle media a shout out treaclemedia.com okay let's leave that there um let's crack on british grand prix it's the monday morning after a scintillating race what I find amazing about this is, you know, you, you get the best brains with all this computer technology and they go and drive these, they design these whiz-bang new circuits. Um, and then you go back to that, you know, that windy old airfield in Northamptonshire, um, which was never designed. And, it's, and, and you get races like we had yesterday. Yeah, it produces fantastic races. Um, and this is why I give up so many of my Sunday mornings and afternoons, you know, particularly on... It might be a sunny Sunday afternoon and other people are outside enjoying the weather, but I will be inside in a shady room watching television because just sometimes I cannot believe what I'm witnessing and I'm leaping out of my seat. And this was one such occasion. Um, and yeah, you're right. It's, this place was never designed to be a Grand Prix circuit, not when they put it down for planes to take off and land from. But because it's open and fast and wide and spacious... You just get great racing. Think about all the effort that people go into designing modern circuits to make sure that you know that overtaking is possible, and yet it still proves difficult. And yet there were there were people going past people left, right, and centre all around Silverstone, wasn't it? And it was mm. what a spectacle. And don't cars just look amazing though? They just look. Sometimes you go to circuits and you know you look at them and you think, oh, they're going quite. But I don't think there are many places that are better than Silverstone at conveying that sheer sense of speed. And so when you see them go wheel to wheel as, I don't know what your favourite particular encounter was, but mine was um, Leclerc and Hamilton um, when they were dicing for position. I mean, that was just knowing the speeds they're going at. I mean, to me, that's when you see the skill. You know, you don't really see the skill um, when it's just one car on its own going around, despite how fast it's going. But when they're doing that, literally millimeters away from each other mm. and you see the skill of both drivers and you know and this doesn't always happen but particularly in that case the respect that both drivers have for each other um it's just awesome isn't it it's it's almost like you're watching something that you know that humans can't do it's it, the skill is of a, a level i can't compute and you know silverstone just shows that better than almost anywhere else yeah the racing was fantastic the skill on display phenomenal this was a triumphant day for Formula One. However, it came so close in a number of ways to being a disastrous day for Formula One. Um, Guan Yu Zhou, I mean, his was a, a really frightening accident. Um, do you remember when it, when, it, when it was happening live and we were watching the lead cars come flying through the first corner and then in the background, you just see this car upside down darting across. And I what you know couldn't believe what i was seeing thank goodness he was okay um thank goodness it that that cash fencing did its job thank goodness for the halo halo has proved it's worth once again and it did earlier in the day didn't it in the in the feature in the f2 race it it proved proved it's worth again so how many times now it's maybe six or seven times that we have been truly thankful for the halo um ever since it came in i mean there can be no question about it now um, you do get that awful because they cut away and they show nothing and yeah. and you're sitting there and you're waiting and you're thinking the longer this goes on the less likely it is to have a, a decent outcome um, and then you think back to Abu Dhabi and Grosjean's 
accident. And, and, and there's a bit of you that thinks, well, you know, if, if, the, if cars are that good that you can survive that, then maybe the bloke does have a chance. And as it happens, you know, thank goodness he was, you know, he, he, he was there, he was in the pit lane later on in the race, wasn't he? I mean, mm. you know, he was, he was absolutely fine. Um, staggering. Absolutely staggering. Yeah. Thank goodness these cars are as safe as they are. Um, actually, Albon's shunt was potentially more serious. And in, in fact, the outcome was more serious. He was airlifted to hospital. And when you see a car just nose into a concrete barrier like that and come to a stop almost immediately, that's more frightening, in fact, because all that energy is dissipated in just a fraction of a second rather than over a period of time. Um, and again, thank goodness he was okay. But bah, what was it about that particular race start that caused it to be so chaotic i mean i I guess it's all those cars going into a very quick corner all at once and it just takes a slight misjudgment or a slight coming together and the consequences are severe aren't they yeah i don't i don't think you can ever analyze it you know there were no penalties applied to any driver um after it it wasn't like someone was being an idiot um i think i'm afraid it comes under the category of shit happens um, mm. which, which it, which it always will. And frankly, it's an awful thing to say, but it should, you should, you, you shouldn't be regulating things to the extent that you exclude the possibility of something like that happening because the, the price of that is, I don't know what you do. You know, you have race, you, you know, you kind of like have an athletics thing where, you know, drivers have to stay in their lanes for the first lap or something. I mean, it's just mm. be ridiculous. So, mm. um, you know, uh, you know, I'm so happy that no one was badly hurt, let alone worse. Um, but you know, these guys must be allowed to race. And if that happens, you know, occasionally, then that happens occasionally. Mm-hmm. What did you think of, you know, there was this protest. Yeah. There was a sit-down protest. And um, I'm not going to be about to get myself into trouble. But, you know, a lot of drivers came out and said, well, we don't agree with um, with the way that you did it, but we support your cause. And I just think it's a difficult sell, isn't it? When you're in Formula One and you're flying around the world on your private jet, and there's the circus with all those jumbo jets full of cargo, you know, belching out goodness knows what to, what is it, 22, 23 circuits a year. I don't think that if you choose to earn your living that way, you have a leg to stand on when you stand up and go, you know, save the planet. I just don't think you do. Mm. Um, People will cry hypocrisy, won't they? Somebody, somebody, it might have been Damon. I think it was Damon. Damon, if you're listening to this and it, was, and it wasn't you, I apologise. But whoever it was, was absolutely right. Said the only way you can make Formula One environmentally friendly is to stop Formula One. Because even when they go to the sustainable fuels, which they're going to do for 2026, well, they're not going to be putting those in the jumbo jets, are they? Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's difficult to refute the charge of virtue signaling, isn't it? You know, yeah. don't do as I do, do as I say. You know, I'm happy to go around the world to all these places doing all this stuff, um, creating all these emissions, um, but if you stand up and you protest against that sort of thing, then I support you. It's, you know, I just find it really, really difficult. Um, and if you disagree with me, that's absolutely fine. But, you know, that's just, you know, I just think that if, if you're going to, I don't know, I just don't think you, that, I don't think you've got much of a platform to make, you know, much of a noise. You know, Lewis has, you know, has done some fantastic work and has rightly made a huge amount of noise about um, discrimination in the sport. Um, and, you know, that is something which absolutely he not only has a right to say, but should be saying, um, you know, it's gone on too long and, it, and it's a very important subject. I think the environment is, 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 is more difficult for people who choose to earn their living. And let's say they do choose to earn their living that way. I mean, they're all rich enough that, you know, it's not as if they, you know, they'd struggle if they decided to go and do something, you know, else instead. So anyway, I'm not going to bang on any more about that. Probably have done too much already. I just think it's, as I said, a difficult sell. Yeah, do you know what? I'm just going to say one more thing about it. So when earlier this week, uh, last week, when F1 announced the sustainable synthetic fuels from 2026, which is a good move, um, it also said carbon neutral by 2030. But it's not immediately clear if that ref- if that includes all the freight being flown around the world, because that, that is far and away the most harmful aspect of Formula One is flying all this stuff all around the world. And until those planes themselves are running on synthetic fuels, I mean, I don't think F1... I don't think F1 itself can offset all that carbon. So I don't, I, they, they probably need to say a bit more about this carbon neutral goal by 2030 because it's the flying around that does it. Um, but you're right, it's a, it's a tricky one. We're going to hear more and more about it, aren't we? Um, yeah. Anyway, brilliant race. But what did you make of Ferrari? I mean, 
they they took pole, they won the race, but really there were still so many questions to be raised about how they managed it. You can't see. I mean, okay, fine. Everybody, every team on the grid has, has stuffed it up, but the frequency with which Ferrari seemed to be discharging 12 bore shotguns into their feet at the moment. Um, you know, I don't think that there is any doubt that, you know, they've got two really good drivers, but, you know, I think that one is division one and one is premier league, or maybe one is middle of the premier league and, and one is, yeah. you know, absolute. I mean, I think Charles is a, is a very rare commodity. He's one of those sort of, Lewis Alonso, uh, Max type drivers who's just got something that the others don't. Um, and I think he's in that category. Whereas I think that Carlos is a really, really good first class Formula One driver. Mm. Um, and that's not the same thing. Um, and so Ferrari, you know, I don't know. <laughs> If you, you, you kind of you'd almost sort of think that if you didn't know better that they, that, it, that they wanted Carlos to do better in the I mean they just keep on stuffing it up for him don't they and you know and I think he's been you know quite restrained actually in in not venting his frustration more than more than he has um, you know they should have they had eleven seconds okay which doesn't sound like a long time but you know to think about whether they get him in or not mm. um, after the safety car came out and before he went past the pit lane entry mark and, you know it's enough isn't it for a Formula so One they- team. Which should be reacting, you know, which in Formula One teams and pit stops, you know, they they deal in tenths, hundredths of a second. Eleven seconds should have been enough for them to go get them in. They should have got them in, stacked them up, um, and got them out again. And you'd have had, I think, the likelihood is you you would have had a Ferrari one too then. So earlier this earlier last week, <clears throat> I was at Red Bull Red Bull Racing for something that we'll talk about in a moment. Um, and part of that visit included a tour of the F1 factory. I've actually seen it before. Um, and a few months ago, I had a tour of the Alpine factory, and both times we saw what they call their operations room. It's like mission control, where you have all the screens um, on the wall and ranks, rows and rows of um, desks with computers, and during the weekend, the race weekend and the race, they're filled with engineers monitoring stuff, and during this tour, I said to the tour guide, while we were looking at this operations room, I said... Given all of this, it is amazing that we still see strategy blunders. And all the teams will have something similar to this. Um, and it is, it's incredible to me that they can have all these people monitoring everything um, and still make bad strategy calls. It's, do you know what? It shouldn't just be the case. That it sh- they shouldn't just be reacting. The number of seconds that they had should be immaterial. They should be... Mo- they should be predicting every lap that something might happen. Someone should be saying, if there's a safety car now, do we pit? And they should constantly be monitoring that decision. And the moment the safety car is thrown, they should already have made that decision. They should be ready to go. I think with Ferrari, they were worried that Hamilton wouldn't pit because he had much fresher tyres and he would, he, would, um, he would find himself behind science with much fresher tyres, and that might be a, how he went on to win. But I just, I just don't think it was ever going to pan out that way. But this is not you and I, you know, being brilliant with the benefit of hindsight. I'm sure you, like me, like I'm sure everybody else, as it happened in real time, sat there thinking, "Well, haven't they pitted him?" Yeah, it, yeah. And you and I, you know, sitting on our sofas watching telly, can see absolutely. It's a, it's 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 an open and shut case, isn't it? You know, he should have just come in. And if you and I can see that, why couldn't they? Well, there will be plenty of people within Ferrari who will be frustrated that it didn't happen. They would have been calling for it, I'm sure. So maybe it's a a process thing. Maybe it comes down to whoever's making the the ultimate decision. Um, but it was okay. They still won the race. But if they're going to try and win this drivers' championship this year and it looks like it might be getting away from them, I think they need to put themselves firmly behind Leclerc, who is the faster driver, faster qualifier, faster racer. He's the one who has a, a chance of going up against Max, because congratulations, Carlos Sainz. I mean, congr- well done on a first Grand Prix win, fully deserved. But we saw it even yesterday. He was not as fast as Charles when Charles had a damaged front wing. Um so I, I think I think sadly they have to back Leclerc. If that race had, had sort of panned out the way it was likely to have done, 
Um, you could actually argue that Carlos might have even gone on the podium because, you know, Max or Charles would have won it. Um, and he would have been, you know, up to his ears with, with Lewis, wouldn't he? Mm. Um, and yeah. we know what Lewis is like around Silverstone. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, he's, he, he is, I've never met him by, by all accounts, a lovely bloke. Um, and I think that the general view is that he has been unlucky to go for 150 Grand Prix without a win. Um, and I'm very happy for him that he's won it. But as you say, he wasn't Ferrari's fastest driver. He's not the person, you know, there's Max Verstappen. That's the opposition. You know, if you're going to take on Max and the Red Bull, you need the most methodically thought out, strategically smart campaign you can possibly have. And that involves recognizing which one of your drivers making a choice, you know, very early on in the season, probably before the season and understanding, right, this is the bloke who we're going to put up against Max. Um, and, you know, even though you'd never admit it in public, um, you know, then the other driver is there to help that, t- that job get done. Um, and that appears not to be happening. Yeah, and particularly when your main opposition has made that call. Red Bull has already backed Verstappen. We know, we know Max is their boy. In, in the same way that Mercedes always, you know, regardless of what I said, but always, you know, back Lewis. You know, Valtteri um, was always, you know, a number two driver. Sometimes he wasn't a particularly good number two driver, but there was never any question that, you know, that they were really going to be allowed to, you know, compete against each other. And, you know, it was Lewis all the way and rightly so. And it's Max all the way and rightly so. Um, and it should be Charles all the way. And Carlos, I'm afraid, um, should be helping get that job done, harsh though it sounds. Uh, and I know that they're racing drivers and they should be allowed to race and everything else. Completely get that, admire that and respect it. Um, but when you do have a situation where I really don't think there's any doubt that one driver is just faster than the other, um, then, you know, what are you doing? You know, taking those risks um, when, you know, ultimately it can only harm the ultimate objective. Yeah, I do hope Ferrari start pulling it together because they've looked pretty shaky, particularly with Charles over the last few Grand Prix. Yeah, but the car is so quick, you know, and even if you're not a particular Ferrari fan, I think we all want to see competition up the front. I I am, as you know, the world's most enormous Ferrari fan when it comes to Formula One. Um, And, you know, I would love it to go down to the wire, um, but Mm. I can't see it happening. Um, You know, Max, okay, Max had a, you know, was, was unlucky. Um, you know, when did he come? Eighth, something like that. Um, but you know, that's an outlier. Uh, he'll be back. When's the next one? Austria next weekend. He'll yep. be back. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, at the Red Bull Ring. You know, I think. You know, I think you can back him to do quite well there. So, yeah. I mean, if Ferrari, despite having a potentially championship-winning car, given how long it's been since they've won a championship. Um, if Ferrari squander that opportunity, that would just be such a shame, wouldn't it? It would. It would be a shame. Um, and <laughs> it is very sort of typical of modern Ferrari, though. I mean, during the Vettel era, there were times where they had probably the quicker car, at least a comparable car to the Mercedes. They were leading the championship two thirds of the way through, um, and they imploded. So <sighs> I don't know. Yeah. It has been frustrating to watch. Um, final word on the Grand Prix then. Um, there was, I mean, Lewis and the Merck looked properly racy at points. Um, before the safety car on that long stint on the mediums, closing in on Science in particular, it looked like... The old days, didn't it? The old days, yeah. The, yeah, the Mercedes of 2020 or 2021. Do you know what, you know, I just wanted to see George out there too, because I just think that he could have done it too. I think he would have been right up there. I know that he made a mistake in quality, but I think he would have made the most of that. And um, I think that George and Lewis, certainly hunting as a pair, could have really, really upset the apple cart. Mm. Um, and also, I just wanted to see George and Lewis go head-to-head at Silverstone because I still don't know which one of the two is quicker. It wouldn't have been wonderful. Um, yeah, so a shame, but never mind. My suspicion is that there's almost nothing between them in qualifying now, but I think Lewis still has an edge over a stint. I just, I suspect that's true, but you know, until it's borne out, we don't actually know, do we? So it might be that Silverstone is the track that suited the Mercedes more than any other this whole season. Um, but for, I would love to see that car continue to edge forward and become part of, um, part of the battle for race wins. Because we just want to see Lewis and George up there, don't you? You want three different teams competing for wins. I suspect, actually, over the course of the remainder of the season, it will 
remain the third quickest car. Um, but I suppose we'll see. There are plenty of, there are other similar tracks. I mean, Spa probably has similar characteristics to Silverstone. Lots of very quick stuff, quite wide and open. Even if you are the third quickest car, um, I think they've got the best driver lineup in the field. I really do. Um, they've probably got the smartest brains in the pits. I mean, historically, Mercedes have always been the best on strategy. And if they're the third quickest car, but they're only out by, you know, a tenth or two, mm. um, those sorts of things can make a difference. Um, no. And, you know, and, and they will put themselves in a position where if either of the, you know, two theoretically faster teams, so much as, you know, twitches, makes the smallest mistake, they'll be there and they'll win races. Mm. Um, and you know, I wouldn't be, I really, really hope that they both win races before the end of the season. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did, but, but the champion, the championship, both championships, I'm afraid. Yeah, they're gone. Um, they're gone. Um, and gosh, how much I look forward to eating those words at the end of it when Lewis has died crowned again, but I just don't see it anymore. I think it's, what's that? We're now, what, we're now nine down out of 22. I think next weekend is the halfway point, I think. Um, and yeah, they're like, yeah, they're just too far behind. Um, well, we'll see, won't we? Okay, so I was at Red Bull last week um, on the Tuesday to go and sit down with Christian Horner and Adrian Newey to hear about the RB17, uh, Red Bull's new hypercar, its first completely in-house hypercar. Um, and it's an interesting thing, but it is, there are questions surrounding it for me. It's fearsomely expensive. They're going to build 50 of these things. Um, and in the UK, after tax, it's going to be 6 million quid, <laughs> which is a stunning amount of money. Um, Horner seemed quite comfortable announcing. It's 5 million quid before tax. He seemed quite comfortable saying it. But Newey sat there and said, yeah, I always feel a bit embarrassed when we say it's 5 million quid. Um, but okay, I mean, well, we'll go on to hear about the car and everything else. Well, the one thing I don't have a problem with is the price. Um, you know, it could be a hundred million, but if, if they can find customers who will buy them, and there yeah. will always be any number of people who go, well, it's an irrelevant, it's a rich person's plaything, and they're absolutely right. But that doesn't make it bad. It just makes it for someone else who's you know in a you know in a, in a different financial league to almost everybody. And if they can sell, you know, is it worth it? Well, the, the answer to the question is, can they sell 50 of them for 6 million quid? If they can, it is, you know, QED. So, you know, the price is eye-watering. Um, it's an unimaginable amount of money to me to spend on a car. But then again, you know, I'm not a squelty multi-billionaire. So who's to say? No. And, it, you know, it, it does do some good overall because rather than get rid of a load of very skilled engineers and technicians under the new F1 cost cap, Red Bull is able to keep them employed within the business, earning money and paying Stop tax. them going elsewhere. And stop them going elsewhere, particularly Adrian Newey. And so that, that's what, I mean, that's what's going to sell this car, is that it's an Adrian Newey car. Um, and there will be, yeah, there will be plenty of people out there with the money who are so so excited by that prospect that they, they won't care what it will cost. And you, you know what? These guys will get close to Adrian Newey. Probably if you buy one of these cars, you'll get to have the old lunch with him at a track day or whatever. And, you know, getting close to the brightest F1 mind of its generation, that's quite special. Talking of Adrian and Adrian cars, did he talk about Valkyrie at all? Because, you know, this car is kind of, you know, that's what Valkyrie was, wasn't it? It was Adrian's... Mm -hmm. You know, Gordon Murray did the F1 and, you know, and, you know, the two greatest Formula One car designers, arguably, of, well, frankly, of most people's lifetimes. Um, you know, and the Valkyrie was going to be Adrian's answer to everything that Gordon had done. Um, so now I wonder what he thinks about that project, because I don't think it's quite the car that he envisaged it to be. Yeah, it's worth saying that um, the RB17, the new Red Bull car, is track only. It will be a two-seater, um, a ground effect car. It will have a twin-turbo V8 hybrid um, with more than 1,100 horsepower, much more, I think. Um, and so the Valkyrie did come up. It was mentioned. And of course, what they don't say 
publicly is that they're dissatisfied with how it's gone and the RB17 is their chance to put all that right. They don't say that, but there are little hints along those lines. They spoke about, Horner spoke about the realities, I suppose, or the frustrations of working with a partner. Didn't mention Aston Martin, but we know he's talking about them. It's your, it's not in your hands, the delivery, the final execution. Actually, it's, it's Aston Martin who gets to determine those things. That's out of Red Bull's hands. Um, and after they spoke on stage, I did say to Newey, um, we know it's, there are rumours that the Valkyrie is overweight. Um, is weight going to be one of the, the ways in which your car um, improves on Valkyrie? And he says, he said to me, um, yes, sadly, the Valkyrie has come out heavier than we wanted it to. Um, and he says that by keeping weight under very close control... And it helps that they're not trying to build a road legal car. Um, they will make this thing significantly lighter than the Valkyrie. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what I find extraordinary is that, is, is that you know they say we're going to keep weight under close control. I have some idea of the lengths they went to to keep the weight of the Valkyrie under close control, and they were absolutely extraordinary lengths um, in terms of the particular. Um, types of carbon fibre and how they were applied in particular areas of the car. Um, the fact that the, I can't remember how many micrograms the badge weighs, but it's not many. Um, and it's made out of um, this sort of um, gossamer thin, I think it's titanium thread or something. And I, th- I think a lot of the problem with the Valkyrie, which must have been a, the source of a lot of Adrian's frustrations, and I'm sure the reason that RB17 is track only, is there are just certain hard points when you are trying to homologate a car for road use, you just can't get around. Yeah. Um, and they compromise your design. There are all, I mean, I mean, the rule book is so thick. There are all sorts of things, an unimaginable number of ways in which that car has to be compliant. None of which I imagine you would do if you didn't have to. Um, so what you do is you do a track car and then you can do it anyway, any damn way you like. And, uh, and, and I think that, um, Adrian being an absolute purist um, just thought I just don't want to be done with um, I want to do the ultimate and I don't want that ultimate to not be ultimate because it's had to be compromised because you know there's some tedious you know rule book that it's got to comply to so um, yeah they say yeah Newey told me that it will have double the aerodynamic downforce of the Valkyrie the Valkyrie road car double um, but he he, he makes he re- it reinforces the point that it will have very efficient aero. We've heard this before, haven't we? Loads of downforce is all well and good. But if it just gives you a shed load of drag, it's actually not going to help around a lap. So it's going to have very efficient aero, low, low drag but high downforce. Um, and it's going to be a ground effect car. It will have skirts. Um, so it's going to be a phenomenal thing. They're targeting ballpark f1 levels of performance around a track um which is really staggering when you think about it i mean who do you have to be to be able to drive it that way they actually knew knew he says that you can drive it as quickly or as slowly as you like and it should be accessible for a wide great group of people you don't have to be max um but it's still going to take some skill isn't it i was looking at some lap times earlier um and back when they were doing the wec at or Silverstone, an LMP2 car, so the second grade of sports prototype, gets around Silverstone Grand Prix circuit in about one minute, 40 seconds. Okay, And I think the lap record at Silverstone yesterday, I think the fastest lap was the 130. Okay, So if you're in an LMP2 car, um, around a big, long circuit, you're only 10 seconds off a Formula 1 car. Um, and so... I don't know. I, I, I just find it, I just try and, you know, and, and, you know, I've driven, okay, I'm driven, I've driven a P3 car and various other, and I just find those sorts of cars, when you get into prototypes with enormous amounts of downforce, um, my, my brain just starts to boil. I just, I just don't understand it. And I don't um, know how you consistently get to and control cars on those limits. And I'm sure this says, says much more about me than it does about the cars. Um but the idea of having a car which is going to go that much faster than an LMP2 car, which is already so unimaginably fast, I mean, probably half a minute quicker around the Silverstone Grand Prix car than the fastest road car. Um, 
I don't know, I just find I find the whole thing absolutely extraordinary. And I, I, I guess to the owner, you know, I think that they will think from the off, of course, we're never going to drive it at Formula One pace or close to it. But, you know, maybe, you know, they'll, what they'll do is they'll get Max to go and set, you know, various sort of um, bogey times or whatever. And maybe with a lot of training and a lot of trying, if you're really good anywhere, and, and the question that a lot of people who drive these cars will be racing drivers, they will be really good anywhere. And maybe they'll be able to say, well, you know, in the same car on the same circuit, I got within, you know, three or four seconds of max. And that would be quite an achievement, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be a cool thing to do. Yeah. So, and even if, you know, you get nowhere near it, you've still got the car that can. And with all these things, we all know it's not about what you're going to do with them. It's about what you could do with them if, 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 if you wanted to, if you were in the right position, frankly, if you had the talent. And the fact that you're not and you don't probably isn't that important. Um, I find it a really interesting car and we're going to follow it because it's Adrian Newey sort of unleashed. Um, and that's just fascinating. It's it's almost space race-ish, pushing the boundaries of what's possible on four wheels. And so that's why I'm intrigued by this thing. Um, however, I can't figure out really if it is pushing the boundaries because it's not road legal, which is a really key point. It's not going to be faster than a Formula One car. So it's not the fastest thing on four wheels. What's curious is that they've made it a two-seater Um which is an interesting decision because if you've got another person in the car, that's maybe another 100 kilograms that you have to think about. And Newey hates weight. So it's interesting that they've done that. Did they say it's a tandem or a side-by-side? Side-by-side. Yeah, see, that, I mean, that's, you know, that's, I mean, that's the, the other thing that Adrian will hate even more than the weight is the cockpit design. Yeah. Um, you know, the additional frontal area that will be required to put a second person in the car. Um, so the, the car is heavily compromised by having to seat two people. And I actually can't see what the benefit is. I mean, okay, it's, you could give your mate a passenger ride or you could have an instructor sit in with you. I think you've said it, haven't you? You can scare your mates witless. And, <laughs> and also, well, I, I also think it's, and you could, you've also got to be able to try to climb into the head of the sort of person who buys these things. I think, I think that there are people who genuinely, for all the right reasons, like, sharing these experiences and, and, and get genuine joy. I know people who've got, and you and I do, um, amazing collections of cars. Do you remember when we went off and we went poodling around the country, yeah. countryside in a works DB3S and Nuvolario's Alpha? Um, you know, and that wasn't, that wasn't showing off. That wasn't look at me. That was just somebody with an extraordinary collection of cars um, wishing others to have that experience too, to be able to feel those extraordinary feelings. And I think that there will be people who buy those cars genuinely that, and there will be people also um, who just want to show off. Um, and, you know, you can't do that if, you know, you make standing in the pit lane. Um, but if he or she is sitting next to you, um, you can say, right, this is what a Formula One car feels like. And you can head off at a bazillion miles an hour um, and, and, you know, and they will be screaming. And, you know, to an awful lot of people, that will be quite a, an entertaining way of passing the time. So, I guess that's it. And I guess they would have, you know, they will certainly be in touch with potential clients and they would have said, you know, and if enough of them say, well, if it's only a single seater, I don't want to buy it, then, you know, the decision is made for them. Yeah, maybe if it's a single seater at that point, you just buy an old Formula One car or go racing an LMP2 or something. There are there are alternatives, aren't there? But there's nothing. And, and also, I've just thought of something else. Um, tuition. You, you know, you're yeah. just going to want someone sat next to you with an intercom saying, don't worry, it is flat. It's a curious thing. We'll we'll follow it because it, I'm sure it's going to be a remarkable machine when it does emerge. Um, yeah, and we'll see how it turns out. Um, OK, so sad news last week, and I know you want to say a few words. Um, Alan Decadene died, um, and I think he was someone you held in the highest regard. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that he was a mate. I never went to his house, he never came to mine. Um, but he was someone who's, you know, we crossed paths personally and professionally, you know, professionally when I was editing motorsport uh, and personally at, you know, all the places you would expect, um, you know, Spa, Goodwood, Monaco. Um, and we'd always stop, we'd always have a chat. Um, he was... You know, he was always up to speed with all, you know, he read all the magazines and, and you know, he, he had this sort of amazing existence, um, you know, because, you know, he was this sort of playboy figure, wasn't he, who, 
you know, who had the money to go racing at Le Mans. He got a third, he got the podium at Le Mans. So, you know, he was absolutely no slouch as a driver, you know, and he had, you know, cars designed for him by guys like Gordon Murray. Um, and he lived the life. You know, I can remember when I was like a teenager driving down some street in Chelsea or Fulham and seeing this 8C Alpha parked at a highly unorthodox angle to the pavement. And I knew exactly whose car it was. And it was just the cad, you know, on a visit somewhere. Um, and he was this larger than life character. Um, there's a great clip. If you haven't seen him. Um, <laughs> if you just put Decad and a Spitfire into YouTube, yeah. Um, there's this bit where he's um, he's he, he's doing this piece to camera about Spitfires and one takes off behind him, and it is it is one of the funniest things you've ever seen. But actually, he was just um, you sort of think that someone like that might be a bit aloof or a bit arrogant, whatever. But you know, he was he was just always happy to chat. Uh, he loved cars. He just loved cars and he loved driving. Um, you know, I was very, very lucky that um, we were both in the same sorts of cars at a race at Monaco in 2014. And we had a we had a fantastic um, little battle together. I'll never forget that. And and he was just a he was just a great guy um, in it for all the right reasons. Raced up until I think he was racing last year. Um, and also, he was so youthful. I mean, I couldn't believe he was 76. Mm-hmm. Literally couldn't believe he was 76. But actually, if you go back and you do the math, you realise, you know, that he was racing cars, I think, in the 1960s. And you think, well, he probably is. But he was so young at heart. Um, so much not, you know, the sort of senior citizen, you know, elder statesman type, just another enthusiast, loving cars. And, yeah, I, we seem to be losing a lot of them at the moment. Um, I'm, just, I'm just sad that he's gone. Mm. Yeah, good words. Good words. Um, okay, well, we've got a listener question coming up now. Um, before we do that, thank you to JBR Capital for sponsoring the podcast. Um, if you're buying a new car or a used car, go and see what JBR Capital can do for you on the finance side. Contact details in the description. Um, please also subscribe or follow wherever you listen to or watch this podcast. Uh, that is how we find a bigger audience so if you keep subscribing keep following we will find a bigger audience and we can do more and more with the podcast listener question then comes from marker or marsa 0321 um he says even though i feel it is too late at 34 to start a career as a motoring journalist well first of all it's never too late if you have the passion for cars and you can write. And it's, just, it's so important that you take the writing side seriously. If you love writing as much as you love cars, it's never too late. The only issue is nobody in their first job in car journalism earns really good money. And by 34 years old, it might be too late for you in life to go back and earn pittance for a few years while you build your name up. But if you are in a position to be able to do that, it isn't necessarily too late at all. He goes on, I'm curious to know, in your opinions, does a motoring journalist need to commit to a career on camera as well as a career on paper in the 21st century? Thank you, Marcus. Marcus, your name is. Um, no, I don't think you do. Uh, I think that I think there's sort of three sorts of journalists. There are those who earn the majority of their livings on camera. I think there are those who don't do it at all. And I think there are those who can... Um, cross between the two disciplines. Um, you know, I, I, Dan, you're absolutely right about the age thing. I mean, it's all, you know, it's one thing, isn't it, to be earning, you know, absolutely three-fifths of not very much when you're 21 fresh out of uni yeah. um, and trying to make your way in the world. Um, but at age 34, people, to, you know, by that age, you know, quite often have other commitments. They have mortgages or children or, or, or whatever, um, or large amounts of rent to pay. And it's very, very difficult. I mean, it is... It's a tough old business, but Dan, you're absolutely right. You know, if the only way, um, I'm going to talk more about the writing side, I'm sure Dan will talk about the the video side more, um, to really progress is to write and to write and to write. It's all about the writing. The standard of driving required is high, but if you're going to do well, it's nothing like as high as the standard of writing that is required because there are any number of people out there who can turn out a story um, to a decent standard, but you're going to have to make yourself stand out, you know, age 34 with no track record. Um, and, you know, you're going to have to pitch. You're going to have to, so what you have to do is to have an idea, which is a really good idea, um, but one that you can deliver 
um, because there's no point saying I'm going to drive a Porsche 917 around the Nürburgring because you probably can't, um, you know, unless you're an extremely lucky person. So you have to have a really good idea. You have to be able to deliver it um, and you have to be able to pitch it um, and, you know, come into length to breathe and on time. And it's, and it's difficult. It's really, really difficult. That said, if you're good and you work really, really hard, I would never say to anyone, you can't make it. Um, because I think you can, but I think also you should be under no illusions about how hard that road is. Um, particularly, you know, if you're not, you know, shred out of uni anymore, um, and you need to earn a decent wage and, you know, um, yeah, just go into it with your eyes open. So on the video side, <clears throat> it, okay, there are plenty of journalists out there, even young journalists who don't do video and they've got good careers because they're good writers and they're reliable and that's, that's enough. You know, you can still build a very good career um, as a writer in this industry. I do think if you can also present on camera, you add a certain something and you are potentially more valuable to certain titles. However, you know, it's this 10,000 hour thing, isn't it? If you, if trying to learn video at the same time as trying to improve your writing means that both take much longer, I would honestly just focus on writing for now, become the best writer you can be. And once you're a bit more established, maybe then start doing the video side. I don't, I don't think it's absolutely crucial being able to do video as well, but it does help. Um, so yeah, interesting time for this industry, isn't it? Um, okay, well, well, we'll we'll leave that one there. Thank you for your listener question, Marcus. Um, it's a fun way to end each episode. So get your listener questions across. Um, you can either send them to us on Instagram, you can tweet us, or you can email us, info at the-intercooler.com, um, and we'll read out the best ones. Um, let me just remind you, though, that our website, new website, goes live on Wednesday, the 6th of July at midday. Um, everyone can start a free trial for a month. See what the website is all about before giving us any of your money. Um, and we hope you enjoy it. The-intercooler.com. Let us know what you think. Um, and we'll be back to talk to you all again next week. All the best. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 